This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, everybody. This is The Breakfast Show. We are into our Encounter with God section where we're going to be studying the Bible together. We are in the book of Daniel. This is the 20 million movement, even though we are a bit behind the rest of the world right now. Um, That's just because we had a couple of days off air last week. But we are in the process of playing catch up here. So we are into Daniel chapter 3 this morning. Before we get into Daniel chapter 3, just a quick reminder that... uh, If you are struggling with your signal or if you get the delayed broadcast, there are a number of people who call and say, well, you know, we're we're calling for the quiz and it's actually yesterday's quiz that they're calling for and that's because they're on the delayed broadcast. Not everybody realizes that they're on the delayed broadcast. Some areas do get the delayed broadcast, particularly in uh, sort of the areas that are further away uh, because of the, um, I guess, the internet facilities out to the actual transmitters. So if you are getting the delayed broadcast, the way to solve that problem is to grab the app. Just uh, jump onto your app store, look for Faith FM Australia and grab the app right there. Um, You'll be able to listen to Faith FM pretty much all over Australia. Perfect signal all the time and it will be the live show. Mm. Of course, we were mentioning earlier, Maddie, the uh, Gosford Church, Central Coast, New South Wales. Uh, so just north of Sydney, running a uh, a fundraising concert for the bushfires. That's correct, yeah. And what was the date for that again? February 1. Saturday, February, February 1. 1 yep. Saturday, February 1. 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Okay, fantastic. 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. If you're Gosford in the region. Adventist yep. Church, definitely head over there. And um, and that should be amazing. All right, Maddie, let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Why don't you start for us in verse 1? Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officials, the officers, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, you would think that if you're going to make a modern translation in today's day and age, you wouldn't make it just for Americans, right? <laughs> 90 feet tall? What's that all about? Please give us the metrics. Let me, let me give it to you from the KJV. Thank you. Where it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> cubits, I think, makes just as much sense to Australians as feet. Actually, no, we, we're more educated than that. We have enough uh, interaction with the United States to uh, have a rough idea of what feet are. But... Can't we just at least have both metric and imperial systems in our modern translations? <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> okay, so let's just call it 30 metres. All right, let's stop and think about this for a moment. Mm. This is a golden image that is 30 metres tall. Mm. Now, to wrap your head around that for a moment, um, I was running an evangelistic program in Sydney one time, and for our advertising, we set up an air-filled image. Not of the Daniel 3 golden statue, but of the Daniel 2 statue that had uh, the various metals in it, gold, silver, brass, and iron. 
but it was built to the same dimensions as the golden one in chapter three. Uh, and uh, you know, as such, it is, it is, it holds the record for being the tallest air-filled statue in the world. <laughs> this thing was enormous. I mean, you know, all the radio stations right across Sydney were saying, "Hey, you got to go overhead over there and check this thing out." You know, standing in the in the in the car park of the you know the Hoxton Park Adventist Church, and the only reason we could put it there was because they do have you know a very very large block, lots of grass, very very large area. Had to be fairly careful with it because uh, a slight dusting of rain and it would have uh, within the first five minutes to be carrying a ton of water. Yes, and it would exactly. sort of tear itself tear itself apart. So um, yeah, some major major challenges with um, yeah. Well, who the heck is trying to tried ever tried to build a ten story blow up? Statue? Yeah, I know. But the thing is, the thing is, like you be this thing was in Hoxton Park Adventist Church, which is um, you, know, you could see it from all. Like, you're driving down the freeway. And here's this thing towering above the trees. It's towering above the power lines. It's just dwarfing everything. Um, I think one of the two of the neighbours might have looked at it a little bit questioning, like, is that going to cast a big shadow over our property? It was only there for like 10 days or something or other. We had to man it day and night. All right. Because it's too fragile. Yep. You know, it had to uh, had to have somebody on it day oh, and night. I'm just but imagining eight people around with like strings, making sure the wind is <laughs> No, it wasn't like that. We had uh, two people who took shifts and just sort of kept an eye on it and yep. just sat it there. If the wind came up, you know, we'd pull it down. If it started to rain, we'd pull it down. Those kind of things. Yep. But it actually stood for ten days straight, awesome. which was a, a a pretty good record for the big one. Um, you can get the the smaller ones, the one third size ones, uh, fairly red- readily, uh, but the big one was. Um, yeah, it was it was something. It was just wild. But I'm, I'm imagining, like back in Babylon, there wouldn't have been a lot of ten story buildings around, so this thing would have towered above. Yeah, that's right. And Babylon was, you know, the greatest city in the ancient world. But even still, there would have been would have been very few buildings at that height. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the the ziggurat of Babylon, according to I think it was Herodotus that wrote the descriptions that that was about ninety meters tall. So that would have been bigger than it, the, the temple. But yeah, but that's a huge. That, that's a huge um, brick structure. Massive, yeah, like a pyramid-looking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this mm. is like just standing up like a pillar. I mean, it's yep. it's ninety. What is that? Ninety feet tall, nine feet wide, or something or other. I think your mm. translation said. I give it to you in cubits if you want. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is like a, a huge, tall, golden pillar with a golden image on it. Okay, so there are some important things that we need to uh, notice right here, and the first is that. The image of Daniel chapter 3 is a direct response to the dream of Daniel chapter 2. So in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It is a dream of multiple metals symbolizing multiple nations. Now, for Nebuchadnezzar, this is a disaster of, of unimaginable proportions. It predicts that one day his kingdom will come to an end. Yeah, that's right. Now, in these days, and particularly when it's the second year of your reign, so yeah. if you look at the history of the kings in these days, typically what would happen is that when the emperor died, uh, one of his sons would t- try to take the throne. Um, various sons and generals would spend several years fighting over that throne until somebody who was powerful enough could seize the throne, seize the power, and maintain that power long enough 
be able to survive long enough to stabilize the kingdom. This was the process that would take place whenever these kinds of mm. events happened. So you have a young king trying to stabilize his kingdom, trying to, yeah, yeah. You just you, you look at what happens after um, you know after Nebuchadnezzar dies, you know, and you've got his son Amal Marduk comes to power, and he lasts for two years. Um, then his son-in-law Labashi Marduk comes to power, and he lasts for nine months. <laughs> then Nabonidus comes to power. Um, he manages to stabilize the kingdom, but he goes and lives out in the desert for 10 years and lets Belshazzar run it in his absence. The only way, we've mentioned it before, but we need to mention it again, the only way these kings survived was by having a constant, and their survival depended on it, it depended on their level of paranoia. They had to be constantly paranoid. They had to be constantly putting down the next plot. You've just had a dream this is not something that has taken place in a corner, in a dark room, where there's only been Daniel and the king to witness it. It's not something that you can keep a secret. It has happened very, very publicly because your general has just gone out and you know, been in the process of rounding up all of the Babylonian cabinet to destroy every single last one of them. Oh, yeah. Every, the, the, everyone within government would have known about this dream and the scandal around it. Okay, so this is a scandal now. And the, fact that, and the fact that this teenager from from you know um, Jerusalem was able to <laughs> yes. yeah okay, so this, and this scandal you 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 think about how fast news travels these days. You get a scandal of this level, it's going to go faster than Twitter. Yep, the whole empire is going to know about it. And so there's not much that Nebuchadnezzar can do. It the genie's out of the bottle. How do you put it back in? And how do you not honor this guy Daniel when he? Does tell you what you had dreamed because you know this probably would have, this would have been taken place in the in the in the in the court um, in the Babylonian court. It would have taken place where there were witnesses. Um, you can't put this genie back in the bottle. You've now got a major major problem on your hands with a prophecy that says your kingdom is going to end. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so you've got a uh, you've got a major problem on your hands, and we're going to look at some of the history behind the actual problem this causes. Uh, but really, what it's going to do is it's going to add strength to any of the enemies of Babylon. It's going okay. to all they have to do is say, well, you know, um, there was this dream. God said that the Babylonian Empire is going to come to an end, and uh, that silver in that image, that's me. <laughs> and you got to remember back then, um, the the lines were very blur- blurred between, let's say, what happened at the temple and what happened at the um, in the courtroom. You know, oh. they they, um, they viewed their um, religion or their uh, spiritual conceptions very very closely to the monarchy. It was so blended you could barely distinguish where one started and the other finished. Exactly. So the king has this dream and yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, everyone's thinking who's the next? Who's the silver? What's going to happen next? When is this going to happen? This is incredibly destabilizing for Nebuchadnezzar. He needs to address it. He needs to do something serious to address what is actually taking place here. And so this is why he builds this golden image. This is not so much Nebuchadnezzar turning around and saying, yeah, well, you know, I know that that Jewish God called Yahweh uh, came through in a very, very powerful way. And I've honored, I've honored the uh, follower of that God by making him uh, prime minister of the empire. But I cannot afford to have this kind of a 
uh, psychological disaster within the empire. Mm-hmm. You know, there is there is always a plot to remove Nebuchadnezzar to change the government. You only have to change one person. Yeah, yeah. And I know some people might be thinking, well, that's that's maybe an assumption. What if Nebuchadnezzar's dad had set up a stable kingdom? But actually, recently there have been uh, tons and tons of cuneiform tablets that have been rediscovered. Uh, in the, in the tens of thousands of tablets, and there is actually evidence of planned revolts within the time of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is yes. just assuming yes. that that was the case. And we're going to talk about one in particular here further on in this particular study. Um, the biggest of them. We're going to talk about the biggest of those revolts. And, um, and, and, and you know, you, you look at how, you know, Nabopolassar was able to set up and stabilize an empire and pass it on to his son Nebuchadnezzar. We often look at the Babylonian Empire and say, well, you know, it didn't have rival- rivals. But if you look at Nebuchadnezzar's wife, whose name was Amatus, and she was a Mede, there's a reason for that. They did have a massive rival. It was the former Elamite Empire. The Elamites had once been the greatest empire in the world. Um, and it was a coalition of the Medes and the Babylonians and the Lydians together that had actually been able to throw off the Assyrians and while the Babylonians were now dominant, the Medes were a big enough rival that you had to have a political alliance there. You had to be married to, you know, the daughter of Cyraxes, so that the Medes, so that you could um, ensure that he did not decide to invade your empire. Oh, you're ruining a love story for me here. <laughs> he gets me thinking all this time that you know Nebuchadnezzar built the Hanging Gardens for for the love of his life. <laughs> He's saying it's a political alliance, but you're so, true. It doesn't matter how big your empire is, you need friends. You got to yeah. keep you got to keep Amethyst happy because if Amethyst is not happy, then maybe she calls on her dad to come and visit, and while he's at it, bring an army. Mm. Um, there is a reason why one of the greatest walls of the ancient world was built. So you talk about you know your big walls, your big walls of the ancient world. You had you know obviously the the Great Wall of China dwarfs everything that has ever been built. Um, but you know you've got other big walls like Hadrian's Wall. Mm-hmm. But then you have the Median Wall. Nebuchadnezzar builds the Median Wall, and it goes all the way from the River Euphrates to the Tigris River. And it was to stop the Medes who he had a political alliance with and to whose you know whose daughter he was married all right the the the, the of uh, the the emperor of the medes so you know so i'm going to marry your daughter and then build a wall between us that's right that's exactly what and i'm going to keep her happy <laughs> so this was the kind of environment that they're in in these days this was a this was a cold war yes the medes mm. and the babylonians were involved in a cold war and it lasts all the way through until the time of Nabonidus and Belshazzar, but that's getting ahead of the story. So, yeah, this is the environment that Nebuchadnezzar finds himself in. He's in his, um, when he has this dream, he's in his early to mid-twenties. Uh, he's been ruling for two years. And it's it's just not a good look. Mm. Okay, so he's going to do something about it. He builds this image. It is all gold. It is a public statement to the entire world, to his entire empire, because his entire empire has heard about the dream of Daniel 2. All right. Um, that was a lot for the first verse. <laughs> but you got me started on history. Well, the first, first three verses. It's exciting. Uh, did we read the first three? Yep. No, we didn't read verse... Let's read verse 2 and 3. Let's read verse 2 and 3 again. Then he sent messages to the high officers, the officials, the governors, advisors, 
treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all the officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, so you've got everyone who is anyone within the empire. So you've got everyone who's in charge of anything has been called together for, uh, for this particular mm-hmm. meeting. And in doing so, um, you're going to have client kings, you're going to have vassal kings, you're going to have you know, all of your rule. Anyone who's in a position of power mm-hmm. has, been, has been called in. So I wonder if Hezekiah, king of Judah, would have been there. Not Hezekiah, Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Yes. Uh-huh. Zedekiah would have been there. It would have been interesting. And uh, a lot of people ask, wait a minute, how can you have a king of Jerusalem who is present at this particular event, haven't the Jews all been taken captive at this particular point? And the answer is, no, they have not. There were three invasions, and I'm just looking for the dates of them here. There were three invasions of the uh, Jewish nation by Nebuchadnezzar because they were pretty rebellious. One under Jehoiakim, one under, under Jehoiakim, just to confuse you, and one under Zedekiah. And when this event takes place, Zedekiah is still on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling over the remnants of the Jewish population that have not yet been taken captive, but are about to be taken captive for the very last time. So he could have very well been at this meeting. Mm. Um, The history around it is almost convincing he was there. Amazing. Yeah. King of Jerusalem. Because all of your Western vassal kings would have had to have been there. Mm -hmm. And there was quite a few of them. Especially the rebellious ones. (laughs) Especially the rebellious ones. Because in reality, this is not just a dedication of a new God. They're not just launching a new God. This is a loyalty oath. Yes, it appears that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. They are all being called together to worship the golden image, which is a symbol of the Babylonian Empire, which will last forever and swear their loyalty mm. to this particular empire because they are going to bow down and they are going to worship this image. So Nebuchadnezzar is launching a new god. Nothing too unusual about that in the, in the ancient world. You can start a new god you know, when needed. <laughs> He's launching a new god. But as we mentioned before, the lines between government and religion... Did they even exist? Mm. These were just one and the same thing. Yeah, omens meant a lot. Um, The gods, the interpretation of dreams, all that kind of stuff obviously meant a lot too. And so if you're swearing loyalty to this new Babylonian god, you're swearing loyalty to the Babylonian empire, you're swearing loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar himself, and very, very clearly this is symbolic of the Babylonian empire and Nebuchadnezzar uh, that he, you know, he he's going to be here forever, and you don't need to worry about starting a rebellion against him. Mm-hmm. Should we read those verses? We yes. command to worship. It's the next, Absolutely. next few verses. Yes, verse four. Then a herald shouted out, "People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments." Bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, in his typical psychopathic fashion, is not messing around. (laughs) 
That is an insane command. Welcome to this great meeting. Okay, but is it insane if you are Nebuchadnezzar? Okay, so think about this for a moment. This is this is you, you've dragged everybody together from the entire region. If you're going to defy Nebuchadnezzar here, it's going to be very public. Mm. What choice do you have? Because if somebody defies you and you then let them off the hook, like, yeah, we're just going to throw you into jail or whatever, then what does that say about your leadership and rulership? We're going to come back and talk more about that uh, right after this. I like that you've got the wool over your eyes Cause it suits me fine to know that you don't even realize I like the way that you don't question anything And I love the way that you go along with everything don't even know and I've got you under my control and you you don't even know and you don't even know just don't think about it live life to the full it doesn't really matter what's really real keep that feeling Produce more entertaining things, keep our mind occupied When's the next storyline? Well, I can't wait to see what they'll think of next And oh, give me more of the games of Stones Cause I like keeping up with the Joneses Don't really mind who was Moses And when's the next YouTube session? I've got a Netflix obsession I'll be fine, just take a all My, oh my, 
What a lost little child You're entangled in lies I have the best intentions for you And I don't want anyone else to be Lord of your life Lord of your life I want everything good for you I've tried to show you But people by my name Welcome back, guys. That was Anna Bleeden with Wool Over Your Eyes. We are in Daniel chapter 3, and what an amazing chapter this is. So many really cool things that we can draw out of it. We found that Nebuchadnezzar has come out with this psychopathic... uh, Typical of Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be thrown into a furnace of fire. This is very James Bond bad guy-esque. You know, this is the kind of... It's like Nebuchadnezzar, you know, was the kind of person who would, uh, you know, lay awake at night thinking of creative ways of executing you. Not not just, you know, not just, uh, you know, hanging, drowning, stabbing, you know, mm. the usual ways that you might do back in ancient yeah. times. It was like, no, let's throw him into a tank full of sharks. Well, he didn't do that. That's not recorded anywhere. But it is something that... Um, but there is something specific and important about burning in the fire because in those ancient times there was a belief that if you burnt someone you were prohibiting them from an afterlife oh yeah absolutely so th- there was meaning to it yeah um it was more cruel than than just ending someone's life it was um, it was indeed well right, the phones are just going off here left right and center but anyway my phone's going off too. <laughs> it's just all happening this morning. Um, okay, so um, yeah, it was it was not just as you say. It was going to take them take them out for eternity if they you know do not worship him. And of course, you know, as we mentioned before, if uh, if 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 Nebuch- from Nebuchadnezzar's position, if somebody is willing to stand up right there and challenge you to your face in front of the entire world and you do nothing about it what is the message that is going to go back to the entire world well nebuchadnezzar is weak nebuchadnezzar we could topple with a feather um and let's do it Mm. so he has to he has to be a man of action on this day and of course who in their right mind is not going to you know even if you have the worst darkest deepest secrets of rebellion in your heart or even if you already have an army secretly gathering gathering together in the western provinces or whatever it might be who's not going to bow down on this particular day you'd be like yeah i'm absolutely loyal well this is a strange thing that i find about this passage passage as well because it is sort of like well if you're going to be rebellious you're just going to bow the knee and and you know continue plotting and planning in the background it's 
it's it is a statement, isn't it, of the from the king? And it's almost like he's he's I don't know. Is he calling out people that are um, sort of like ideologically or they actually um, at their core want to rebel against the king no matter what and would choose this as an opportunity? Um, yeah. Basically, what what Nebuchadnezzar's strategy that I see taking place here is is that he's giving legitimacy to any re- to his uh, smashing any rebellion that comes up because any rebellion that comes up is not just a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon or the empire; it's also a rebellion against this god. And so this gives him a tremendous amount of. Um, leverage when it comes to raising troops and motivating those troops to squash anybody who tempts a rebellion against him. And there is also that added insult that they came to Nebuchadnezzar, they got down on their knees and they swore an oath that they would support him. And now look what they've done. Mm. And of course, we're going to see what happens when you know Zedekiah tries that and how well that goes for Zedekiah. Not well at all, um, but that's going to come further on in the story of the book of Daniel. Okay, so let's uh, continue on with, uh, where did we get up to there, Maddie? We are up to verse 6. Anyone who refuses, this is the herald um, that uh, essentially proclaims, anyone who refuses to obey the command will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. That's the end of verse 6. Yeah, mm. let's, let's keep going there. Let's, let's read a few. Verse 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people... Whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. And when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes and other musical instruments... That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Okay, this is this is so interesting what is happening here, uh, particularly because in my translation it says in verse 8, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came. Chaldeans were Nebuchadnezzar's family. This is, this is not just, you know, any random members of his cabinet. From his large empire? This is his family. This is his own tribe that comes to him. This is his own tribe. And they are the ones who have been overlooked in being given rulership of the province of Babylon. Babylon yeah. Instead, it was given to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. three young men from, from Jerusalem. And the prime ministership, of course, has been given to Daniel himself. Mm. You know, he's the, the grand vizier of the entire empire. Um, obviously not here at this particular occasion. We don't know exactly where he was. Um, but historically, there was probably good reason for him to be in the West, uh, when this happened, um, either that or just maintaining affairs in the city of Babylon itself because this takes place outside of the city of Babylon. And I wonder if the fact that um, Nebuchadnezzar had set these young Hebrews in high, such high positions, if that added to the instability, to the uneasiness within the empire. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, particularly from his own, you know, particularly from the Chaldeans. They, they are the ones who are the most motivated right here. 
because they would be smarting under the fact that um, these Jewish slaves have been preferred more than what they have. And it's like, I'm your own family. I'm from your tribe. You know, what's going on here? Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar is like, no, these guys are brilliant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them in office. Mm. But Nebuchadnezzar also has to know that, you know, these guys serve that God called Yahweh that has given this dream and this is going to be tough for them. Yeah, well, uh, was he thinking of them at all? It, it almost Maybe seems... he doesn't. When you, when you read the rest of the chapter, it almost seems surprised and uh, like, and he gives them another chance. Okay, you know? this is the really bizarre thing. This is this is so bizarre when you come further down through the, through the uh, through the chapter here. Is that they come and accuse them, as, and you can imagine that while Nebuchadnezzar may have forgotten their existence, I'll guarantee that these guys hadn't. In fact, if I was a Chaldean at this particular point and I had been overlooked, and this great launch of this new brand this new god etc is about to take place and it's been set up and there's all the music there and it's a big event it's about to happen i would be quietly walking working my way through the crowd until i was standing right beside shadrach meshach and abednego because i'm going to be like this could be my chance Mm. if these guys stick by yahweh i've got them they are out of the way yeah yeah problem solved so i don't think nebuchadnezzar was thinking of that at all i think of all the situations that could have arisen there, you know, he's he's expect he's wanting to crush any any sentiment of revolt. I don't think he expected this to happen. I don't think he expected Shadrach, Meshach, and, his, and Abednego to defy his decree and to make a spectacle. Can you imagine every single officer in the empire was there, and his own th- three chosen um, officials within Babylon which he trusts. He knows these guys serve the one true God. He knows where they stand morally, ethically, um, and, uh, and and the way they function. He, I don't think he expected this at all. No, absolutely. Anyway, uh, where are we up to? We've got time for a few more. Let's read, read a few more verses, and we're going to come back to this tomorrow. Um, where, where did we get up to there, Verse Maddie? 13. Keep then going, ne- keep going. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. That's kind of what Nebuchadnezzar does. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how he operates. We've read this before. He loses it. Yep. He's not a man who has good control over himself. Mm-hmm. Keep going. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse... You will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Okay, this reveals something about uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his relationship with the gods in those particular in, in those times. And we're going to talk more about it tomorrow. But the bizarre thing here is that he gives them a second chance. This is unheard of in the ancient world. And it reveals that he must have really, really like these guys mm-hmm. and now, like surely I've heard just yeah. a rumor let's let's do it over again because it would have been embarrassing imagine how embarrassing it is for Nebuchadnezzar to redo restart his launch uh, just for these guys but he's prepared to do it anyway we're going to find out why tomorrow but right now we have Lauren Daigle
Breakfast show. We have come to question of the daytime. Maddie, what have you got for us there? All right, we've had Darren text us through, uh, and this is in response to um, to a discussion that uh, Lyle you had on air yesterday um, about whether salvation can be lost. Yes, right. once saved, always saved. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and Darren's referring to a passage in John chapter six, verse thirty-seven to forty, and he says um, Jesus would have to fail to do the will of the Father, and Jesus always does the will of the Father, which is that he lose none and raise all those to glory who have been given to him by the Father. Yeah, it's a really good question. He also talked something there, I think it was about uh, losing the Holy Spirit. Yes, um, for for the believer to become unsaved, they would have to be unindwelt by the Spirit, detached from the body of Christ and unregenerated. Yeah. And God never takes back his promised free gift. Okay, so this is a really good question that's been raised here. Uh, there are a number of statements in it that you don't find in the Bible, um, such as God never takes back his free gift. Um, yes, God never takes it back, but we can always give it back. It's the way a gift works. God is not an Indian giver, but you can always give something back. So if you give me a gift, I can refuse it, so I, or you I can, can accept it and then refuse it later. Okay. Or you can accept it, and then later you can come back and say, "Hey, here, you know, this is uh, don't need this. Whatever, it's not working for me." I want you to think about something before we get into the Bible study section of this, and that is this: love is created by the power of choice. Without the power of choice, love does not exist. You remove the power of choice, you have removed love from the universe. And the Bible says that God is love. That's why the Bible says, you know, most famous verse, you know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's anyone. That's not a select group of people or anything like that. Um, And so when it comes to, you know, the concept of one saved always, you know, particularly here he says uh, a person would have to be unfilled by the Holy Spirit. 
That's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says when a person who has been saved is lost, they become unfilled by the Holy Spirit. So let me read it to you from Matthew chapter 25, and then I want to get on to that passage in John. Maybe we can grab a little bit of extra time here this morning because this is a really important question, and I would love to hear from you more questions on this subject. 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. Okay, so if we go to uh, John chapter 25, There is the parable of the ten virgins. All of them are virgins. All of them are members of God's church. If they are virgins, they are saved people. A virgin is a symbol of a saved person in the Bible. Um, All of them believe in the bridegroom. All of them believe he is coming. All of them have heard that uh, he is on his way and they have obeyed him. All of them have lamps, the word of God. All of them have, have oil, the Holy Spirit. All of them are witnessing because they are spreading light in the world. Um, All of them have all of this. These are very, very clearly, all 10 of them are saved. And yet the Bible says uh, that the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps have gone out. It doesn't say that they were never lit. It says that they were a light. They were filled with oil. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit has departed from them. In the same way that you've got many instances in the Bible, you know, where the Bible says, you know, the Holy the, the Spirit departed from King Saul, for instance. This is not something that is unusual in the Bible, and people shouldn't be shocked by it. Um, this is what happens when a person becomes unsaved, is that they choose to no longer have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will never force himself in. You know, when you make a decision to give your heart to Jesus Christ, at that point, God does not forever remove your power of choice. Mm. It's just like any relationship. At any time, I can choose to not invest in it or walk out. Yeah, absolutely. Any love relationship is built like that. and It's the only way that love can exist. Let's look at these verses in question. So John chapter 6, verse 37, the Bible says, and we'll work through them one at a time. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no way... Cast out. That makes sense. If we come to Jesus Christ, he is never going to cast us out. Okay, but what we've got to be careful is we don't read into this passage what the Bible does not say. So the Bible says that Jesus will never cast you out. It will never throw you away. The Bible does not say that you can never leave. This is not Hotel California that we're dealing with. I'm dead serious. I just didn't think of that analogy. Yeah. This is not God is not running Hotel California. That's the devil. I hope everybody understands that. Okay. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So God is Jesus come to do God's will. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all all that of all which he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Okay. Verse forty has your answer to this passage right here, and this is the will of him that sent me. What we've got to understand is what the word will means. The word will simply means desire. This is the desire of him that sent me. God's desire is that nobody's lost. Mm. Um, the Bible says, you know, God, um, whom God foreknew or whom God knew before they came into existence, he predestined. Well, my question is, who did God not foreknow? 
God has foreknown everyone. God has predestined everyone to salvation. But God is never going to force anyone into salvation because the moment that God uses force, he has stepped into the arena of Satan. He is now using Satan's power and love and force cannot exist together. They cannot coexist. They are mutually exclusive from each other. There's a few thoughts on that. There are many, many more thoughts, of course. Um, One of those that was given to him by God, as you mentioned earlier, Maddie, um, and the Bible says very clearly this, was Judas. Judas was given to him by God. God chose Judas. God elected Judas. And the Bible says that, yeah, he was a devil. And uh, we certainly do not expect to see him being forced into heaven Mm. um, against his will. Uh, A couple of thoughts there. Give us a call, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 0491-064-669, and we are well out of time. Coming up next, come to me. Find healing here. 
That was Matt Minicus and Josie Minicus with Come To Me. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. We've come to the end of our show and we are about to give something away for free at the end of our show. Um, but it's been great having you on the show today, Matty. It has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been a fun Bible study, hasn't it? Man, we're in the book of Daniel. What can go wrong with the book of Daniel? Exactly. It's been great. And a big thank you to all, all the people who have texted in on the text line and called through and, uh, and been part of our, our show today. Okay, we're giving away Nature Superfoods. We've had a few of these to give away. A cookbook from Sanitarium Health Food Company, full of amazing recipes. Give us a call, 1-800-324-843. And that can be yours entirely for free or text us on 0491-064-669. And, of course, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.